If you like listening to my conversations with interesting people, you'll love listening to them or watching them on Nebula, the creator-owned streaming service where you can get access to these interviews early and ad-free, as well as bonus episodes from my YouTube channel and exclusive series you can't find anywhere else. Sign up for Nebula by clicking the link in the description or go to nebula.tv slash conversationswithjoe to support the podcast and help promote content that matters. 3,800 years ago on the island of Crete, the Minoan civilization was one of the most powerful kingdoms in the entire Bronze Age. In fact, Minoan culture was so dominant that given a few hundred more years, we might be calling all of Greece Minoan. But that's not what happened. Instead, they disappear from the region and from the entire historical record. In fact, we don't really even know what they called themselves. We call them Minoans based off of the name of their ruler, King Minos. And we only knew of King Minos in 1878 when they discovered his palace on Crete and started excavating it. And it was only after this discovery that they started finding more stuff in the islands around Crete and we got a better idea of just how extensive the civilization was. What happened to the Minoans is still a bit of a mystery, but most experts agree it probably had something to do with this. This is the Greek island of Thera, also known by its Latin name Santorini. Today, it's one of the most popular travel destinations in the world, known for its distinctive architecture, dramatic 300-meter-tall cliffs, and stunning views of the Mediterranean. But it didn't always look like this. As you've probably already figured out, Thera is an active volcano. In fact, it had minor eruptions three times in the last hundred years. But it was the eruption that occurred sometime between 1600 and 1700 BCE that reshaped not just the island of Thera, but the entire Mediterranean region. It was an explosion that turned a giant mountain sticking out of the sea into this, a caldera, basically a sinkhole. This was basically just a mountain that blew up. And it blew up with a force of about 100 atomic bombs. Recent estimates say that the eruption could have launched up to 60 cubic kilometers of ash and dust, with samples found up to 30 kilometers away. Just for comparison, the 1883 eruption of Krakatoa and the tsunami it created killed 36,000 people. Thera was four to five times more powerful than that one. The tsunami from Thera would have wiped out the coastal settlements on Crete that the Minoans held and probably wiped out their navy completely. Not to mention put enough ash and dust in the air to lower global temperatures all around the world, just like the Tambora eruption in 1815. This would have caused years of poor harvests and food shortages, just as the Minoans were recovering from the damage that the tsunami did. They didn't vanish overnight, but they were weakened to the point that when the Mycenaean conquerors came around, they just didn't stand a chance. They were crushed, and then within a few hundred years were culturally assimilated, and then they were just completely lost to time. Not to mention that the knock-on effects of the Thera explosion may have played a part in the entire Bronze Age collapse that occurred around 1177 BCE. The Thera explosion was truly epic, both in scale and significance. It, it might be one of the most consequential volcanic eruptions in the history of Western civilization. And yet, if you put Santorini up next to the Yellowstone caldera, it looks like this. Adorable. This is the difference between a volcano and a supervolcano. You literally can't see a supervolcano from the ground. The four overlapping calderas that make up the Yellowstone supervolcano measure about 70 kilometers by 45 kilometers, which is actually twice as far as what the ejecta from the Thera volcano traveled to. So Yellowstone qualifies as a supervolcano because it's had two different super eruptions. And to be a super eruption, the volcano has to eject at least 1,000 cubic kilometers of material into the air. Would a thousand kilometers be a me mega megameter? A mega megometer? Is it, is it, it's gotta be a megameter. How come I've never heard of a megameter? Is that a thing? Anyway, whatever you call it, it's about 17 times the ejecta of Thera. You know, arguably the most consequential volcanic eruption in human history. 
According to Jake Lowenstern of the U.S. Geological Survey, Yellowstone super eruptions ejected, quote, enough material to bury the state of Texas five feet deep. When I read this quote, I was curious whether or not he meant both of them together was that big. No, each eruption was enough to bury the entire state of Texas five feet deep. Eruptions are rated on the Volcanic Explosivity Index, and super eruptions are uh, rated a VEI magnitude 8, or M8. The ancient Thera and Tambora eruptions, which again, lowered global temperatures because they were so big, rated only an M7. Which actually sounds pretty close, but the VEI index is logarithmic, so the Thera and Tambora eruptions were only one-tenth as big as a supervolcano. Luckily for us, no super eruptions have occurred since prehistoric times, but Yellowstone is not alone. There's several supervolcanoes around the world just waiting to end that streak. So exactly how bad would it be when, not if, that happened? To answer that question, it might be good to understand why super eruptions happen in the first place. And the short answer is, well, there's a lot of long answers. Volcanology is a, a field of study that's constantly shifting and eroding itself. That's a metaphor. So most volcanic activity occurs along tectonic plate boundaries. These are the cracks in the pie crust where the filling can come up through the surface. And now I'm hungry. Thing is, not all volcanoes are born at the edge of a tectonic plate. Some of them, like Yellowstone, happen right in the middle of them. So one theory involves so-called hotspots in the Earth's mantle, also known as large igneous provinces. The hotspots melt rock into magma, which eventually builds up pressure and blows up. But what causes these hotspots in the first place? According to geophysicist W. Jason Morgan, they're caused by mantle plumes. In 1971, Morgan proposed that these mantle plumes develop deep down in the Earth as a ball of hot magma that then rises up, kind of dragging a tail behind like a lava lamp. Like, I wear this shirt a lot, and this is normally how we see the layers of the Earth depicted, you know, with these, these like, concentric circles. But of course, they're not perfectly circular. They're, they're you know, they got mantle plumes and bulges. It's, it's got curves, yo. But anyway, that's mantle plume theory, that we got these mantle plumes deep down in the Earth. They come out, they bubble up, they build up pressure, they explode, go boom, supervolcano. The problem is not all scientists are convinced that mantle plumes exist. There is an alternative theory that's called plate theory that relies exclusively on plate tectonics. According to plate theory, off-boundary volcanoes are the result of crustal extension, which is my new favorite phrase. So this states that the movement of the plates cause pressure changes far from the boundary. So if local rock is already close to its, to its melting point, this depressurization can actually cause it to form into mantle. And what happens next depends on a variety of conditions, one being the composition of the lava. So large volcanic eruptions, particularly supervolcanoes, are thought to be what's known as felsic. Felsic is a combination of feldspar and silicon, and, and rocks with high silicon content has actually a high viscosity rate, so it actually doesn't go through the, the cracks in the, in the surface of the earth as easily. So instead of just kind of like rising through the crust like regular lava, it builds up and builds up and it, and it melts the rock underneath it that releases gases that builds up pressure, kaboom. And what makes a supervolcano super is basically the amount of ejecta that winds up getting launched out, and that is created by massive magma chambers underneath the, the surface. And over the past 36 million years, there's been around 42 super eruptions that we know of. And that number varies because figuring out the VEI of ancient volcanoes is fairly tricky, but let's talk about some of the supervolcanoes that we do know of. So let's just start with Yellowstone because I was already talking about it earlier, and like I said, we know of a couple of super eruptions that happened there. The biggest one was the Huckleberry Ridge super eruption that formed the largest portion of the caldera 2.1 million years ago. The second one, called Lava Creek, extended the caldera's eastern boundary some 640,000 years ago. Both of these super eruptions ejected enough ash to cover what is now the western United States. But those two eruptions are only part of Yellowstone's volcanic history. There have been about 80 smaller eruptions since the last super eruption. 
The US Geological Survey classifies these as relatively non-explosive. Relatively is the key word here because apparently some of them were about as big as the Mount Pinatubo eruption in 1991 that killed over 800 people and devastated 37,000 acres of forest. Thankfully, nothing that destructive has happened in Yellowstone for about 70,000 years. But Yellowstone isn't the only supervolcano in North America. Actually, uh, there's a surprising number of them. At least seven super eruptions occurred between 36 and 18 million years ago that helped shape parts of California, Nevada, Utah, and Colorado. This includes the Lagarita Caldera in Colorado and Utah's Wawa Springs Caldera, which happened just two million years apart, a drop in the bucket in geologic time. By the way, Wawa Springs is kind of a funny name, but it was a monster volcano. It may have ejected up to 5,500 cubic kilometers of debris. Yeah, aside from the asteroid strike that killed the dinosaurs, Wawa Springs might be the single most energetic event to have happened in the history of the planet. It dwarfs Yellowstone's biggest eruption by a factor of five. There are areas where the debris is 13,000 feet thick. And believe it or not, even that might be beaten by another supervolcano in North America called the Flat Landing Brook Formation in Canada. I say might because it happened so long ago, it's hard to tell if it happened in a single event or multiple events. All we know is that 460 million years ago or so, this formation deposited 12,000 cubic kilometers of debris over the area. It's assumed that this was an ongoing process over a million years or so, but if it did happen all in one event and ejected over 10,000 cubic kilometers, that would break the volcanic explosivity index. M8 is supposed to be the upper limit, but an M9 would be 10 times an M8, which is what this would be. Finally stepping out of North America, Mount Toba in Indonesia is another super eruption that could break the scale. I've talked about the Toba explosion before. It happened fairly recently, about 74,000 years ago. Uh, many people believe that it might have been something of an extinction event that almost wiped out human beings at the time. Although I've got to make sure and cover my butt here, that theory has been falling in popularity lately. Anyway, its ejecta has been given a range of between 1,500 and 13,000 cubic kilometers, which is a pretty massive range, but if it was at the upper end of that range, it too would break the VEI index. Then there's Lake Topa in New Zealand, whose super eruption named Oruanui turned Mount Topa into Lake Topa about 26,500 years ago. This wasn't the largest super eruption on record, but it was the most recent, and it had some fairly interesting features to it. For one thing, it happened in stages with long breaks in between, and most supervolcanoes don't work like this, but it may have been drawing magma from a separate chamber under the Kaiapo Fault. This might have caused the pressure to build more regularly, and it wound up exploding in 10 different phases. And over those phases, it ejected around 1170 cubic kilometers of debris. Now, again, that's kind of small on the supervolcano uh, range, but um, it still managed to cover some islands a thousand kilometers away in 18 centimeters of ash. That's a megameter. On top of all these supervolcanoes I mentioned, there's also a couple in South America, including the Cerro Gaucha in Bolivia and the Andes Central Volcanic Zone in Chile. Yeah, interestingly, more than half of all supervolcano eruptions in the world have been in North America. That makes for a grand total of eight supervolcano sites around the world, none of which have gone off in quite some time, which is unnerving. But exactly how borked would we be if one of these bad boys blew up? Like, would it be an extinction level event? Well, looking into our past can give us a clue. Because the largest mass extinction event in history was thought to have coincided with some supervolcanic activity. Assuming, of course, you don't count the Anthropocene extinction event that we're living through right now, in which the volcano is us. Be the volcano. The Permian-Triassic extinction event, dated around 252 million years ago, took place at about the same time as the formation of the Amishan Traps in China and Russia's Siberian Traps. These flood basalt provinces were shaped by tens of thousands to a million years worth of eruptions and lava flows that also released massive amounts of carbon dioxide, which changed the climate drastically. 
Eventually, this killed 96% of marine species and 73% of terrestrial species. Again, this took place over a greater length of time than our entire species has existed, so uh, a single supervolcano event probably wouldn't be enough to wipe us out completely, but it wouldn't be great either. First of all, there would be massive devastation uh, anywhere near the super eruption site. Keep in mind, again, Yellowstone could cover all of Texas in five feet of ash. So you can pretty much expect the western half of the United States to be pretty much uninhabitable for a while. That would kill or displace around 100 to 120 million people. Beyond the local area, we can expect to see worldwide food shortages due to lack of sunlight and acid rain, which is also a byproduct of volcanic gases getting in the atmosphere. Now, the atmospheric conditions would probably clean up itself pretty quickly in about a year or two, but uh, that's only part of the problem. Nature is only part of the devastation we would have to deal with. The other part is societal, because society will absolutely collapse. And here's how you can prepare for that. First of all, stock up on toilet paper. We know how fast that can disappear. You'll also want to stock up on any shelf-stable food, any medicine you need, or vitamin supplements. Gas masks are essential if you're anywhere near the super eruption site because it does release toxic chemicals, but also a lot of carbon dioxide. Giant pockets of CO2 could travel over entire towns and smother them, and you could choke to death without an oxygen supply, so you might want to keep a tank of oxygen nearby. And once you're done hiding from gas clouds, you'll be ready to hide from a much bigger danger, your neighbors. When the food starts going away, people start getting a little crazy. We saw some of this in 1816 after the Tambora explosion. Hell, just several days of darkness as the ash travels around the world will be enough to make some people go primal. So it wouldn't be the worst idea to have an underground bunker with an electric generator because power plants will start to go down. The electric infrastructure will probably fail pretty quickly. Of course, the generators will only last a little while. Chances are transportation corridors will get clogged up and so gas won't be able to get to the gas stations. So you'll want to have some source of localized power. Uh, solar is good, obviously, but if the skies are darkened because of all the ash, you'll probably want some wind power as well. Just be ready to defend that when the angry hordes come calling. In fact, some speculate that we could be seeing communities springing up around nuclear power plants because they'll continue to make power for a much longer time. Humanity would recover eventually. Maybe with our current level of technology, we'd be able to recover a lot faster than, say, the Minoans did. Luckily, all of these sites and large igneous provinces are being studied obsessively, and none of the experts think that we're anywhere near a super eruption anytime soon. And even then, only the worst of the worst case scenarios would wipe out our species completely. But it is possible, might even be inevitable. And there are other threats besides volcanoes, asteroids, and the like, and this has led a lot of people to make that argument that this is why we need to start colonizing the solar system. Don't put all your eggs in one basket filled with supervolcanoes. We live on a dynamic and volatile planet, one run by forces that we have no control over. And supervolcanoes are a sobering reminder of that. But, and I cannot stress this too much, it could be thousands of years before another supervolcano eruption happens, and there are much bigger and more immediate threats in front of us right now. So let's focus on those. Of course, to solve all these immediate threats, we're gonna need smart people. If you wanna be one of those smart people, a good place to start is Brilliant. Brilliant is an app that, wait, 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 hold up, actually. You know what, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna do something a little different here. You guys have heard me talk about Brilliant a million times. They've been an awesome sponsor of this channel, but uh, I wanna talk about why I've worked with them for so long. All right, story time. So when I was a kid, there were two things that you need to know about me. One, I wanted to be an astronaut more than anything else in this world. And two, I sucked at math. I don't know why, for the most part, I was a pretty smart kid, but for some reason, just math, I just, 
I just couldn't make things click. It's like I had number dyslexia or something. Well, one day a, a teacher was trying to motivate me to work harder at math, and she told me that, you know, if you want to be an astronaut, you have to be really good at math. And that was the day my dreams died. And now I'm a YouTuber. Thanks, Teach. But the thing was, I didn't like have a learning disability. I just learned differently. And that's why I think Brilliant is so great. Because Brilliant is a different kind of learning platform. Brilliant uses visual and interactive lessons to teach you by solving problems, which is something we all know how to do on a certain level. It kind of hacks this innate problem solving ability and uses it to teach fundamental concepts that you can then build upon until next thing you know, you're doing advanced math and science that you always thought was out of your reach. There's a whole track that you can follow that starts you off at the fundamentals of math and science and work your way up, or you can just jump in on a specific topic that you've always wanted to understand, like gravitational physics or neural networks. Seriously, if you've got a kid that's struggling in math and science classes, this could be a life changer. I know it would have saved me a whole lot of self-loathing. Or if you're an adult like me and you just always wished you had a better handle on this kind of stuff, Brilliant's great for that too. It's never too late. So if you've been on the fence about Brilliant, you can try the first few lessons of any of the courses for free if you go to brilliant.org answerswithjoe and the first 200 people that sign up at that link for the premium subscription that gives you access to all of their programs uh, will get 20% off your subscription. Once again, that's brilliant.org answerswithjoe. Links down below. Big thanks to Brilliant for supporting this video and a huge shout out to the Answer Files on Patreon and the YouTube members that are being an awesome community and just being really cool in the comments. I can't thank you guys enough. There's some new names of members that I need to shout out real quick. We got JB Hibner, Fish Sandwich, Rob Dragon, Greg Z. Sezenzen, Tom Ray, Ty Helton, Whale, Editona, Quince, Reserva X2, Tim Weirly, and Father Morpheus. Uh, thank you guys so much. If you would like to get early access to videos or access to exclusive live streams and get a little button by your name that makes you special in the comments, uh, you can just hit the little join now button right below this video. Please do like and share this video if you liked it and if this is your first time here. Uh, there's a little video here that YouTube's been watching you. They think that this might be up your alley and it might be or any of the others down here on the side that have my face on it. You can check those out and if you like them, I invite you to subscribe. I come back with videos every Monday. T-shirts available at the store at answerswithjoe.com store. We got the holidays coming up so you might want to go look around and see if there's anything good there. Help support the channel and they're, they're pretty cool shirts so go check it out. All right, that's it for now. You guys go out there, have an eye-opening rest of the week. Stay safe, and I'll see you next Monday. Love you guys. Take care.